0: Jack. What's up? So this week I got a hand that's actually from a listener.
1: Beautiful. Finally, our pleas were answered.
0: Yeah. Thank you Donovan um, who submitted the hand. Uh, Sam was played at the Hollywood Casino in Toledo and uh, this was a 2-5 game. So first we're going to go into the villain descriptions that he gives us. So we got Under the Gun. He's a hyper-lag... <laughs> 32 to 35 years old, used to play in a home game with me and the David Peters back around 2005 or so. No love lost between him and I. He's experienced and aggressive, but doubt he's ever read a poker book slash watched a training video slash been active in poker forums. He's just too good for all of that. Go ahead and ask him. So this is an interesting player type. You're definitely going to find a lot more of this at 2-5 than 1-2, but... I just think it's kind of rare to, to find a player that's really like this, that, like, is experienced and aggressive, uh, yet hasn't really put any study into the game. I've definitely played with those player types in, like, underground games in New York, but it's been. I don't think I've played with a player really like that uh, in Cleveland before.
1: Yeah, same here. I haven't played with anyone like that in Cleveland. Uh, one of the first times I ever played live poker was with a... There was oh. a guy at the table <laughs> that I nicknamed the Maniac, who just... Uh, you know, played probably, like, every third pot and just had to win it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it was just really readily apparent after about a round that you just had to hit a pair and, or not even. This is the guy where you, on like,
0: you, like, made, like, a great call with Queen High or something? Was this this the guy? Uh, this is the guy with the jumpsuit, right?
1: Yeah, this is the guy with the jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs>
0: yeah I remember you like you got it in with like eighty percent equity on the turn with queen high or something
1: yeah yeah <laughs> uh and and he just i mean he had a, a he definitely had a bit of a problem because he uh he was just buying in again and again for the max yeah i I also do get the feeling that he's not used to losing as much as he did against uh my friends and I who were there together <laughs> uh, used to
0: kind of running over the older yeah I don't know if he's or,
1: a yeah. he's probably not aware of the game but You know, I don't think he's used to getting called down quite as late as we were calling him down. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So.
0: Cool, okay. So that's that's under the gun for this hand. Uh, Under the gun plus one is a 1-2 reg, late 40s, early 50s. And Donovan played with him a bit at this stake, at the 1-2 stake, but never at 2-5 before. He's limpy, cally, preflop, and fitter, fold, but sticky post. I think we all know the type. (laughs) You know, if he's a 1-2 reg and, like, you know... Never or doesn't usually play 2 5, he's probably going to be uh, a little less sticky post flop and a little bit tighter. And playing 2 5 might actually even cause him to play a little bit better because he might be afraid of kind of losing large amounts of money, yeah, especially probably, if he's at like up a lot.
1: Probably taking his time more with decisions,
0: yeah. Uh, and you know, some, some type of understanding of poker, but like kind of the classic, you know, two fitter fold, uh, and two passive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now we have the button. 65- to 70-year-old retired lawyer. Uh, seen him around since the early 2000s in all the underground games in Toledo. Uh, they call him Cap, and he's a friendly reg. He is a regular, <laughs> but not, not as good as we might... <laughs> yeah. He's a regular, but not all good as we might think of good. He plays very different from one day to the next, but generally an old-school tag. He limps speculative hands and open raises good top pair potential hands in big pairs. He only 3 bets something like jack plus ace king most of the time. I've seen him limp raise aces this session. I've seen him squeeze queens uh, from the button versus an early position open and early position flat. Donovan knows he tries to mix up his play and is capable of slow playing pre and post flop and will semi buff big draws. He overvalues hands that are objectively strong on bad boards for, for them and can show up with a lot of hands you not expect to see in spots. For instance, he check-raised ace-jack on ace-king-deuce-two-spades, bet-brick-turn, and brick-river. He likes to make what I call accidental range merges. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty accurate way to put it. Uh, And then Donovan just got his ass cracked with kings all-in preflop versus ace-king, and he hasn't reloaded, so he's sitting on a 380 stack and everyone but cap covers. I think most of my opponents, being Donovan, think I'm very loose and aggressive because I never open limp. I ISO a lot, and I play a good number of hands from the button, but I've actually played a very taggy style and only shown down legit hands. Okay, so one thing that I'm thinking here is while, Donovan, you might have just got your ass cracked with kings all in preflop versus ace-king, in a game like this with players as described, uh, you should really be kind of reloading, assuming you have the bankroll for it. You know, there's just kind of... Especially the way you're describing uh, these players, it's clear you have, you know, a good understanding of, you know, how to play profitable, live, low stakes, no limit hold'em, and you should be capitalizing on that uh, knowledge with at least 500 behind.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, And, you know, I think that it's a common thought uh, among players that it's sort of an active discipline to not rebuy if maybe you just took a, you know, quote-unquote bad beat. But, you know, really that's, that's flawed thinking, and if it's true that you tilt because of something like that in a way that you, makes it so that it's a negative EV decision to rebuy, then that's really something that you need to address. We actually just published some book reviews on our site. Um, one of the books is The Mental Game of Poker, which really goes into depth on that subject. Uh, so check that out if that sounds like you. Anyways, uh, what's the action pre-flow?
0: Well, first let's go to the effective stack. So, under the gun, this hyper lag has 1,000, and apparently he's been on a heater and, like, hitting all of his semi-bluffs. Yes, yeah, so you, you should have re Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> under the gun, plus one, has 600, and just got lucky in a big pot with ace-two of spades on a two four five two two-diamond board, calling a bet and a raise, <laughs> and hitting a three on the turn versus the nut flush and a sticky queen-queen. Uh, but none of the players in this hand were in the hand just described. Button has 220 remaining after losing a stack, buying back in for 100 big blinds and bleeding off a bunch of chips, calling pre and folding to c-bets and value-owning himself. Okay, so Under the Gun is 1,000, Under the Gun plus 1 is 600, Button is 220, Uh, Hero is in the big blind, so the Under the Gun opens to 20, which is the standard for the table. Under the Gun plus 1 flats, Button flats 20, small blind folds, and Hero calls 15 more with Jax in the big blind.
1: I think I'm definitely 3-betting Jax in this spot, just uh, for value. Uh, I think we're pretty far ahead of everybody's range, and we just like to get more money in the pot. I think given stack sizes, Jax is probably—there's not a ton of runouts without a jack where we, we want to be you know, still betting with this size uh, on the river— so probably make a slightly bigger 3-bet to try and be able to get it in on a pretty safe flop and turn against a lot of our opponent's ranges here. So what what are you sizing that 3-bet to? Uh, I'm thinking, so our stack is 380. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking we would make it 90. Mm-hmm. That way we can give you know sort of a an average continuation bet and against a wide range. We'll still be ahead of a lot of that climb range. Uh, and then a very modest turn shove yeah. that will get called by a lot of that same range that we're ahead of. I yeah, guess. With this stack size, we can probably expect to get all-in on the turn uh, against one caller good a lot, even maybe with an overpair.
0: Yeah, I mean, if this is a hyper lag and they have 8s, 9s, or 10s and don't 4-bet all-in here, I think on a lot of runouts that aren't, you know, without like two overs between the flop and the turn, you'll be able to get value. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of sizing, what I generally tell like my students is that when you're three betting out of position, you should make it four times the raise plus whatever caller. So in this spot that would be 120. I think because we have a pretty short stack and are like happy to get it in versus anyone's you know uh, reshoving range there, we can maybe make it a little bit smaller for like explorative reasons. But I, I don't necessarily love making it 90 because I think the hyper lag is going to call like a really good amount of the time. Uh, and then you're giving the other two players good odds to call and you kind of hate life when let's say you make it 90 and you get four callers and now you have basically like, you know, less than a pot size bet behind and you have like an ace or a king on the board. it It's just like a really difficult spot to play play post flop and I'm not sure if you can really do anything besides check fold on a lot of boards. So I think in this spot I'm not necessarily going to 120 but I'm probably going like 110, 105. For kind of like meta reasons I often like to, if I'm three betting, to kind of three bet with an $100 chip and like one $5 chip. Uh, Not because I think anyone's going to think I did it by accident but just to kind of make them like think about, oh, maybe he's angling, or maybe he's just trying to be cute, and then usually that whole thought process spurs some type of mistake. So I'm probably, in this specific spot, making it 105. Uh, but I think the clear thing about this spot is, you this is a slam dunk 3-bet, and especially against the hyper lag in early position, like, you have to feel very good about getting an all-in preflop with him. Uh, you're way ahead of his shoving range, um, and after you 3-bet, you're going to be getting really good odds on a call, and... Uh, by the way you described the two other players, the under the gun plus one, like a more straightforward forward one-two reg, and then this button who's kind of a you know old-school tag but can definitely mix it up in value on himself. He's you know definitely three-betting queens, kings, and aces in that spot on the button, and he's often three-betting ace-king, so you can feel very good if he like happened to call with tens or nines there and then reshoves over you because he thinks you're trying to steal.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I, I think I like 105 as a better sizing. I do think that if you get uh, multiple callers, as long as uh, the hyper lag calls, then there there's a lot of good situations that come from, you know, the flops where you don't feel like you can comfortably bet. I think a lot of the hands where you check, the hyper lag bets, and then you could, call uh, from, and yeah. then you can either feel pretty good about folding if one of the uh, later position players calls. And feel good about calling the hyperlags, uh, you know, flop bet. Definitely. You
0: know. Yeah, especially if you get four callers with a 105 sizing, which I think is, like, somewhat likely if the under the gun player calls. Uh, and then you're seeing, like, a flop with 400 and you have, like, you know, 280 or 275 behind. You know, there's there's very few flops where you're not going to be calling the, the lags bet if both other players fold, given what we know about this player. Um so Hero opts to call with Jack's here, which, you know, for the reasons described, it's I think it's a pretty big mistake.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if three waiting to ninety is a mistake for the reason that we're gonna get to the flat four ways too often to realize the equity of our hand enough, uh or to make it very difficult to realize the equity of our hand, yeah. Then calling is that much more of a mistake for the exact same reason.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, we see a flop of Queen of Hearts, Jack of Hearts, Ten of Diamonds. Hmm. So, hero checks, under the gun bets 50, under the gun plus one folds, Button calls. What are you doing here?
1: My first thought is to just... Yeah, stacks are really awkward here. Yeah. I don't think there's anything too terrible about shipping in this spot. Uh, but I, I'm trying to think if you if you can improve on that play. I don't know if i like just flatting because there's just so many draws and yeah so i almost don't feel like flatting is an option i definitely don't feel like folding is an option yeah yeah sizing is weird here okay so let's think pot here is 180 and we have 360 behind
0: yeah (laughs) yeah i mean Uh, any any raise is a pot is a completely pot committing raise Yeah. Uh, So I I kind of like your idea of shoving because I I think we definitely have to shove for value here. If the hyperlag has aces, kings, ace queen, uh, king queen, I mean, all these hands that are value hands that we're, you know, beating and have significant equity against, they're always getting it in here. So I think we're losing a lot of value when we uh, just flat. And we're also, you know, for all of the under the gun players and button players draws whether it's like a bear king or hearts or a combo draw or even like a random nine you know we want them to pay for that chance of hitting hitting the straight or hitting the flush
1: yeah I you know I'm I'm thinking this is a ship for sure yeah and here's here's a big part of it I think it's gonna be really hard for them to put you on your hand because you didn't three bet. yeah Just queens tens and jacks all seem really unlikely for you here ace king seems very unlikely yeah so this, this seems like a, a good like pair in a draw or, I don't know, like ace, nine of hearts. or Was it a heart draw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ace, yeah, ace, nine of hearts or a hand like that. Mm-hmm. I guess a nine, eight is a possibility, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, people's ranges are just way too
0: wide in terms of what they're going to be happy to get it in with here. Yeah. Between value hands and draws that you have to feel really good about getting with jacks and, you know, the few times they have eight, nine and ace, king, it's just... Uh, and cooler, you, especially you, with have, your you have plenty of,
1: I mean, it's not like you're drawing dead when those hands come anyway. Exactly. And I just think that when you shuff here, it's going to be really hard for either player to get away from a hand like Queen 10 or King Queen.
0: Yeah, I think King Queen is probably the worst hand in their ranges that they're always calling. And then all the other hands, that, uh, you know, all the better value hands, I think they're pretty much both players are always calling. And all the worst hands, it's like a sometimes thing, you know?
1: Yeah, so I I think that even though it's an it's an overbet, it's not a huge huge overbet. I mean, it's uh you know if you clicked pot, <laughs> it would be two eighty, and so we're we're betting eighty more than a pot size bet, and with your stack size, you know, people sort of you know have empathy for someone in your position. They yeah. realize that you had an awkward stack and probably aren't going to take. They're not going to treat it like. You know, you just shipped a $500 stack, uh, and it was, like, that type of overbet. So, yeah, I think it's a ship.
0: Yeah, so we agree, and uh, Puro actually calls. Uh, and I think, kind of like pre-flop, this is, like, just a, kind of a pretty big mistake where you're missing value against, you know, relatively loose players who are happy to get it in with worse. So the turn's the 8 of diamonds, and now we have... Two hundred thirty in the pot, and hero has three fifteen behind. Turns the eight of diamonds. Hero checks. Under the gun checks. Button jams remaining one fifty into two thirty. Hero pukes a little bit in his mouth, and you know what? What are are we thinking here?
1: Well, first let's think about how far off we are from a call if he does have a straight. So, okay. uh, we we still have some equity. We have ten outs, so we have twenty percent equity here against a straight with no pair. Yeah. So this is one hundred fifty dollars into how much? Uh, two hundred thirty. Two thirty. So we're getting a little over three to one. <sighs> so we're getting three to one, and we only
0: need four to one. So. Is some percentage of the time is this old-school tag who mixes it up and sends him his value on himself going to shove not a straight? Yes. Uh, I think it's very unlikely, uh, but I think if the button arrives here specifically with the nut flush draw and it's checked to him after I think he's going to be shoving his remaining 150 a good percentage of the time. You know, the hero described this guy as someone who's not afraid to semi-bluff, so if he does that you know, very high percent of the time with enough flush draw and good percent of the time with those other flush draws, uh, especially, you know, ones that might have a king in them. I I think we can definitely profitably make this call. I think we, I think it's definitely a small percent of the time when we call here and are ahead on the turn. And even when that happens, the villain will normally have, you know, some equity against us. Uh, but just given the pot odds, I think it's a... It's a, it's a call, even though it's definitely a spot that makes you want to puke a little in your mouth.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a call, because I think after checking the turn, under the gun player's range, or under the gun looks very weak. Uh, I think, you know, after getting two calls on the flop, if under the gun had a straight on the turn, uh, he would be very likely to bet it especially given his image. So I think that uh, button player, being an ex- a very experienced player, if, even if not a very good player, is going to know this somehow. Yeah. And so he's, I think he's not totally unlikely to bluff uh, or even bet for protection uh, in this spot. So I, I think that because both of your ranges look very weak and your particular range is... Super underrepresented, uh, considering that you would play jacks this way. Yeah, uh, it makes sense that button could be value betting, uh, you know, slash protection betting hands that are worse than yours.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if, I think if he has a set of tens somehow, he's probably shoving here, even if it's not necessarily the best play. Like this kind of mm-hmm. old school tag who value owns himself check two on the turn. I think he's shoving tens.
1: Yeah, a huh? weird set of eights. <laughs> the the same. Queen ten hand, I'd be. I'm discounting those a little bit. Yeah, because I mean, he didn't raise the the flop. Mm-hmm. But I think that it happens enough. We don't need it to happen very often to turn this from a fold into a call. And yeah. I'm confident it happens enough to make that leap.
0: Definitely, I completely agree. And I think probably around a pot size bet is where I start to lean more towards the fold button. Uh, especially because under the gun, uh, I think could have some nines in his range there, being a hyper lag. Uh, you know, especially someone that isn't really studied in the game, who you know might want to play a little bit trickier and might be, you know, feel like he has a lock on the hand because you know the other two players could have ace king or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's unlikely, but I think yeah, I, th- I, think... I think that could definitely happen with uh, the player as described. Again, that's we'll also a... not
1: a reason to call.
0: Yeah, I'm saying it's yeah. a okay. fold when we get closer to a pot bet.
1: I uh, Yeah, I see that. Uh,
0: and like all the things we're talking about here are really like the outliers. Like most of the time, I think the button has a straight here. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, because of pot odds, we don't, the button only has to not have a straight here a small percentage of the time. So here's, here's what Donovan wrote in kind of about the hand after the fact. And he said, this is a spot where my combinatorics and logical hand reading conflicted a lot with my physical read. I felt like I was beat, but sort of told myself, even if I'm beat, very often I've got boat slash quad outs and I'm getting a price, and maybe I'm wrong about my physical read. He says, I think I need to learn to trust my gut more and go with these reads.
1: I I think there's something to that. The thing is, I think inle- unless you know, this is Cap, right, we're talking about? Yeah,
0: he, he clearly knows, you know, the player, these players, especially under the gun and the butt
1: of the two remaining very well,
0: you know. Played with them for years.
1: And- mm hmm. Well, for one, I think the most important thing to consider is, you know, how will you know how Cap plays? If you think Cap would always check behind with made hands here and never uh, semi bluff in this spot, then you can comfortably fold. Yeah. But based on your, your description to us, that's not the sense I got. So if you're going based on a physical read, you know, seeing if he seems confident, first you know, sort of consider his position. If you're holding 10s in his position, are you feeling pretty confident? I would be. Yeah. So I don't think that I would necessarily be giving off uh, a read, you know, that I was nervous. And he's also, you know, he's, in, he's an older, experienced player, and he probably has been in these positions plenty of times before. Even if he hasn't figured out the game, he's probably uh, achieved a pretty good level of comfort at the table. This isn't always true. There's plenty of older regs who uh, telegraph their emotions. But I think a lot of older regs, you know, have, at least when they want to be, the ability to hide their emotions.
0: Yeah, and especially one that's like a retired lawyer playing 2-5. Right. And that's capable of mixing it up. Like, this isn't your average, like, old man knit. Like, you know, this is a player that's played plenty of underground games, so... You know, by the way you describe him, it seems like you really just have to call here, and I think kind of what you wrote in After the Hand is being maybe a little Mm -hmm. results-oriented. I think you have to know when you call here that most of the time you're going to get it in bad, and you're going to lose. But it's just that is he capable of sometimes not having a straight? And the answer is yes, and you have to feel good. And it's tough, especially if you're getting buried in the game, you know, to trust your instincts and to make a good call, even though that good call doesn't mean you're going to win most of the time, it can definitely when you're running bad, uh, it can be hard to kind of make those decisions or feel good about them after the fact. but I think this is a spot where at least on the turn, you should feel pretty happy about your call
1: yeah, you only need you only need him to be bluffing or value betting worse about ten percent of the time yeah, and so. You know, nine out of ten times you're expecting him. Even if this is a right call, nine out of ten times you're expecting him to flip up a straight. So really, you're mostly calling just to draw. So I wouldn't. I would. I would feel not surprised that he has a straight, and feel good about making the call.
0: Yeah, I would feel a little surprised though in this spot because cap had ace king. Uh, oh, cap had ace king. And based on the the way you describe this player, I think he's three betting Ace King a good amount pre flop, especially when the hyper opens and the straightforward reg calls. You know, even if he can't articulate why that's a great three betting spot on the button, I think he should kinda know, you know, instinctively he's at the top of his range in a spot that looks kind of bluffy for him to raise. So and, and against two players with, you know, weaker ranges. So I think he's bet he's three betting his ace king a decent amount of the time. I also think he's raising the flop a lot more. Uh, I think slow playing this hand and, like, you know, I mean, the second player folded in, like, a three-way pot, uh, even when you're this short-stacked, just does not make any sense. Like, when you when you get to the flop with only about 200 left in your stack uh, and can go all in for a little under a pot-sized bet, I think people are, again, are going to call you with hands as weak as king-queen pretty happily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, an old-school tag, like, this I would imagine would likely just shove the flop after the under the gun player bets fifty. Uh, I could see a player getting trickier when they're a lot deeper, but this isn't one of those spots.
1: Yeah, and the other thing to consider is that you know if if you can somehow get to get to cap having all of ace king in his range on this turn spot, it's probably a fold, but. I mean, still, you only need 10% of the range to not be a straight. Yeah. And uh, even if if 16 combos are ace-king and you have another, you know, 20 combos of nines, you still only need him to have, you know, six or seven bluffs or value hands that he's betting uh, to make it a call. Mm. So I don't think... I mean, ace-king is surprising to me, but I don't think it means that uh, you can't make the turn call for the same reasons. It's just a little bit thinner.
0: Definitely, yeah. Like if if he's slow playing his ace king pre flop, this makes me inclined that to think that he's probably slow playing a lot of his tens pre flop, right? Uh, and you know if he gets here with all of his tens combos and does the same thing, even if he gets here with all of his ace king combos, you know he's definitely value betting worse or bluffing ten percent of the time just right. with a ten. So uh, good call on the turn. Definitely try to be a little more aggro on the flop and pre flop, and really we really appreciate you submitting this hand. It was a real pleasure to to discuss a listener's hand on the podcast for the first time.
1: Yeah, this was fun it's uh It's definitely more fun to point out other people's mistakes than our own. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we still learn a lot you know from thinking through other people's hands, and I think that I think there's probably a lot of people who listen to the show who will get more out of hearing us discuss listeners hands than our own hands just because uh not that this is uh, i mean we were in agreement on this most of these decisions but it it doesn't mean that we think it's totally 100 percent straightforward there's still a thought that goes into it Uh, but i think some of the spots that maybe we consider to be more straightforward are spots that people have questions about uh, and we definitely appreciate hearing about those sorts of spots our listeners.
0: Yeah, and Donovan really did a great job with his description, you know, describing all the players and giving all that info, and that's I think that's what really differentiates our approach to kind of hand history review, with just being really exhaustive about all of the details that are involved in a live game, and you know it's those details that let us do the type of specific analysis that we do on the show uh, versus just like, oh, the button was an old man or something.
1: Yeah. It was also fun getting to read uh, Donovan's uh, way of describing players. Uh, Donovan, you seem like a fun guy. Uh, if you're ever at the Horseshoe, give us a shout and we'll meet up. So this past Thursday, I made a blog post on the site called Five
0: Must-Have Poker Books. We've got a lot of emails from listeners asking like, okay, you know, how best to study poker? Uh, what should I do next? And a, a lot of people are inclined to kind of buy a book or two and just kind of read those. I definitely advocate a more active form of studying most of the time uh, to work on your poker game, but uh, when that's not possible, you kind of just want to to read a book and have it not necessarily be like an intense study session, but just kind of learn more about poker. Reading a book is definitely a great option, and in this blog post, I kind of outline the, the five books that have been most instrumental to my improvement as a player, and all of these books I reference in... I reference in my syllabus for my intro to the no limit hold'em strategy class, and I hope you enjoy that post. Please continue to write in hands after the last episode. For some reason, we got a big uptick of hands written in, so keep writing in. Uh, you know, keep commenting on the blog, and and thank you so much for your continued support. We're about to hit a thousand listens for uh, all of our episodes combined, which is something we we're not expecting to achieve anytime soon. So keep on
1: tuning in. And so thank you guys all so much for your support. Uh, we look forward to getting more hands and answering more of your questions. Uh, and remember, and remember, you can always come to the website and comment on the hands and start discussions amongst yourselves and you know we'll join in and we can sort of figure things out together. All right, we'll see you guys next week.